0: Now, with all of that out of the way, again, thank you guys so much for being with us. And I can't wait to share with you what God's put on my heart this week. We are in Ephesians chapter 5 to begin. It'll be on the screen. This is what it says. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ so also wives should submit to, in everything to their husbands. Now, we are in a series called Households That Change the World. And our central focus, kind of the, the, the place that we're shooting for, we're aiming for, is in Matthew 6, verse 33. This is what it says. This is kind of the goal for this whole series. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added To you. And what we find is as we read and open and engage with the scriptures and what we see in the world around us is that God is truly active, He's changing. The world. And that that active part of God in the world is called his kingdom. That's literally meaning his rule and his reign in the world. And as God's rule and reign is expressed, things that come under his rule and reign, they begin to thrive and they begin to flourish. And we see that God is working in the world. And what we're looking at in this series is how our households, regardless of their size, can either join God, choose to join God or not join God in partnering with him as he is changing the world. And really, it all comes down to how we prioritize God's kingdom, his His rule and reign in the world. And and there is what we're also countering is a, a narrative. There's actually a narrative that goes counter to this. There's two different ways that the world around us sees the household that goes against the kingdom of God. And there, there are two different ways of looking at the household um, that are in conflict with God's kingdom. The first is what we're calling the modern or the secular influence. And essentially what this tells us is that individualism and freedom is the most important thing in your life. To be your own self and to be free is the highest value in the world. And any sort of constraint means that you are a captive and you need to be free. The second type of narrative that gets looked at is the traditional, the religious narrative that says the nuclear family is the most important thing in your life and that the appearance of stability, the appearance of comfort becomes elevated. It actually becomes elevated to the detriment of true authenticity and self-sacrificing service to others. And really what we see with these two narratives of the household is that they're building their own kingdom that is opposed to God's. Kingdom. The, the first one, the modern secular narrative, says that, that we want to build the kingdom of happiness through the idol of freedom. It says, I must be free in order for me to be happy. I can't be constrained in any way. Um, but, but the second, the traditional, the religious narrative, says I must build a kingdom of love. I must be seen as a, a person that understands love through the idol of appearances right? I want people to love me and respect me through the appearances of, of having a put together marriage and having kids that are well behaved, and, and then maybe I'll get the love from my peers around me. Now, here's the good news the good news is that Jesus' gospel, the good news of Jesus, counters both of these narratives with a new narrative called the kingdom of God and the work that he has done for us. And we're looking at all the different facets of a household. Uh, we looked at a couple weeks ago singles. In the household, a single household, what that looks like. We looked last week um, at the the men, at husbands, at the role of husbands in the household, and this week we're looking at wives in the household. But I, but before you tune out, I want to encourage you that we all need to hear this. And I was thinking as I was prepping, I was thinking, who's the least likely person to stay on and watch about wives in the household? And the first thing that came to my mind was single men. Okay, so I want to just talk for a second to each of the people that might be joining us and why you really, really, we all need to understand the role of wives in the household. First, single men. You're either single, whether you're a man or a woman, you're single by choice, by calling, by divorce, or by being widowed. So you're either choosing to do it right now, um, maybe you're not old enough yet, maybe you're a teenager, um, maybe you just haven't found that right person yet that you want to commit your life to. Some of you might be single by calling, you really feel like that you are not called to get married either t- temporarily or permanently. Some people are, are single through divorce, um, and some people are single through being widowed. But for the single men that are joining us, um, if you might be called in the future to be married, okay, um, then then this is really going to help you have a level of expectation of what to look for in a future spouse. It is literally the most major decision you will ever make in your life outside of choosing to follow Jesus. And this also helps you counsel your married friends, and specifically your married friends who are husbands, to help them understand the roles and their roles in the household. Now, single women who are joining us, again, you can be single by choice, by calling, being divorced or widowed. Um, For you, if you are called to be married one day, or might be, this this is preparation for you. This is helpful for you to understand the role of a wife in the household. But again, even if you're not called to be married or remarried, this will help you in understanding and having your friends who are married how to counsel them. But there's also an additional point here for the single women. Um, I want you to understand what the Bible says about women and submission specifically. Um, You see, there are some oppressive structures in place, even in the context of the church, but also in culture. And, And I don't want you to be deceived by someone that might use a Bible verse and manipulate it to justify their sin and oppression of you. I want you to understand clearly what the Bible says so that you won't be deceived by specifically men in positions of authority that might use the Bible and manipulate a passage of Scripture to convince you that you need to somehow be submissive or you might not be submissive in certain contexts. I want it to be a protection for you. Married men, um, it's very important. You need to have clarity. Like we talked about last week, you have clarity on your role. Now you've got to have clarity on her role. I want you to understand how not to dominate how not to control, and I don't even want you to joke today. See, you need to be submissive to me. I've seen that in sermons where it talks about the wife and being submissive. And the man will make a joke like, go make me a sandwich, or see, you got to be submissive to me now. Look at what the pastor's saying. I don't even want you to joke about that. That does not help further this conversation. I want you to have what we talked about last week, which is sober-mindedness on your wife's role so you, you can lead her well and set her up well to be successful in what God's calling her to do. What I want to also say to our married men is that most women do not operate in their God-given role because men don't do the same. Men are not operating in their God-given role. Most often men are passive, and that is actually encouraging and forcing women into be playing a role in their marriage that they are not designed to play. So I want to just encourage the the husbands here today not to have the side comments be serious, be sober-minded, understand the role that your wife needs to play so that you can understand how to help her succeed and position her best for success. And to the married women that are watching this, I'm going to tell you the same thing I told the men last week. You're going to hear something today that's going to indicate that you probably are going to need to change. So with that, I just also want to acknowledge one more thing on the front end of this conversation, that this concept of submission and the word submit has often been abused in Christian contexts, this term has been misrepresented to repress and oppress women. And the majority of commentators are men uh, for thousands of years. They, they had more access to education, they had more access to books and writing. And so, just by, by the, the cultural narrative of, of the past two, two millennia, um, we've seen that most men have been the authors of commentaries. And there can be confusion, there can be implicit bias. Sin and silencing of women in the church. And so I want to be very clear In our second point today. I'm going to talk about what submission is not first. Then I'm going to talk about what it is. I want to clearly delineate what submission is not and what submission is. And you have probably been hurt by this. And I want to address this topic together as a family. And on behalf, as a representative of our church, I want to apologize if there has been times where you have been hurt and burned in a church context with this. I want to carefully uh, have us unpack this as a family in a way that is hopefully helpful and encouraging to our church family as we move forward in looking at households that change the world. Now, let's go. Our main point for today is this, that wives are called— to embrace their role as a partner to their husband, honoring and respecting his unique role as a servant leader, and then following his lead to invest in God's kingdom. As I've been sharing every week, this is my projected outcome. This is my goal for us today. Our goal is that we want to see wives embrace their God-given role as helpers to model submission in their household. And submission is neither unquestioned obedience nor to be ignored. Like Jesus came under the authority of his father, wives are coming under the authority of their husbands to respect and follow him as they both serve and advance the kingdom of God together. They prioritize their relationship with their husbands above every other human relationship, including children, without seeking to control or dominate. Wives are modeling holiness for their household as they come under the authority of their husbands, sacrificing their own freedom and comfort To model how the church submits to Jesus. That's what our projected outcome is for today, and there's two parts to our message. One, wives reject the usurpation of Eve, and two, wives submit to their husbands into advancing God's. Kingdom. I want to encourage you, especially ladies again who, who have been hurt by the church, stick with us, think through these things sober-mindedly, maturely, with godliness, and if there's questions, if there's thoughts, please bring them to the table. Let's talk about them. Let's dialogue. Let's go. Wives reject the usurpation of Eve. Now, we, we've been looking back at the garden of what marriage was supposed to be. We looked at that last week. We're doing it again this week. The original intent of Eve was to be a helper. This is what Genesis 2, starting in verse 20, says. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. Now we talked last week about this. This It's a good reminder this week as well. Naming was very important in ancient Near Eastern culture. Essentially, if you named something or someone, you had a responsibility to care for them and for them to thrive. So if you had a child, and you named them, you would be responsible for that child to craft an environment where that would be like a care, like caring-filled direction of an environment and order things in that child's life in order that they can thrive. So it's a sign of authority, but it's a sign of responsibility as well as authority. So when Adam names Eve, he names the woman, woman— um, he is taking a sense of authority with her, but he's also taking a sense of responsibility for her. And what it says that Eve's role is to be a helper. Now, when we first hear this in 21st century ears, what's the first thing I thought of when I was reading this was daddy's little helper. It seems like a kind of a, a piddly little phrase that seems to maybe say, okay, um, you go like a madman type of environment where you go make the coffee or get the ice while the men do the real work, right? That's that's initially what comes up when we hear the word helper but actually the word helper is primarily used of God more than 16 out of 20 times 16 out of 20 times in the old testament it is used of how God helps his people most often in a time of war just look with me at a few very short verses where this same exact word comes up may he send you help from the sanctuary This is uh, the psalmist crying out to God, but I am afflicted and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. My friends, helper is not a derogatory term for Eve. Helper literally means that Adam was created incomplete in the garden. He was created within a perfect world, yet he was created incomplete without Eve. And he is deficient without her. And this actually implies an importance. It even implies a superiority to Adam because she is the one helping him win. She is the one coming alongside of him because he's not able to do it on his own. You see, the intention of God from the very beginning was that marriage would be partnering together so that we could care for the world. And Adam has a unique role to protect and lead, but Eve has an equally unique role to come alongside and support his efforts by helping him and empowering him as he is taking lead. But my friends, unfortunately, that is not the end of the story. There was a usurpation. There was a switching of these roles that happened in the garden. And so what we find is, is that Satan enters into the garden. He is the, the representation of all evil in the universe. And he enters in as a snake. And the snake began to tempt Eve to do the one thing that God told them not to do, which was take of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he begins to ask Eve questions that cause her to question God. Um, she, she even responds and, and says, God told us not even to touch the tree, which God never said. Um, she begins to distort what God said to them. And then we get to um, Genesis 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight for the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate as well. My friends, Satan tempted Eve. Adam was passive. We actually totally broke this down last week. Adam exercised the authority to name her, but he did not exercise his authority responsibility to protect her. He exercised his authority to name her, but he did not exercise his responsibility to protect her. He abdicated his responsibility. He was completely passive, letting his wife right next to him be tempted. And all of humanity fell, not because of the wife's sin, but the husband's sin of passivity to let it get to that point. That's what we talked about last week. It is squarely on the shoulders of the man. However, We also learn about Eve's unique sin and the unique sin of wives from the sin of Eve as well. Eve did usurp the role her husband was supposed to play. She engaged with the serpent. She was deceived. She misremembered. She distorted and added to God's instructions to Adam. And she took the initiative to eat the fruit, to disobey God, to make a decision for their family, thinking that they did not have what they needed. And so the sin of Eve to overstep her role as helper is actually reverberating even today in her daughter's. That is what we see from the garden. However, we see how God introduces a new way of living that puts the world right side up again. It puts it back to where he designed it to be in the garden. He actually, in this loving, careful way that he talks about husbands and wives, is actually bringing us back into the right order that he created the world in, where we come to wives submit to their husbands into advancing God's kingdom. That's where we get to Ephesians 5. It says, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. "...for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior." Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, the context of this, and again, we looked at it last week, and I don't want to belabor it. I would really, if you didn't get a chance to watch last week, please stop now. Go back and watch last week, and then join us this week because it's it's very important. These build on one another. See, the wife is called to submit, but the husband is called to die. He's called to like Christ, laid his life down for the church. The husband is to lay his wife, his life down for his wife, lay his preferences down lay his rights lay his privileges to sacrifice his life even to the point where he loves his wife as he loves his own self wives are called to submit husbands are called to die and my friends i want us to as we engage with this idea of submission right i want us to understand that this is intended for your good this has often not been used for your good god intended these words to be for your good But sometimes, oftentimes, in this specific example of submission, it has not been used to further the good, especially of women in the church that are trying to do what their their leadership is telling them. So if, if the text is offensive, that's okay. We can deal with it. We can look at it. But if how it's been interpreted is offensive, that's not okay, because we need to see what does the Bible actually say about what submission is and is not, which helps us then lead us into understanding really what God is trying to get us to. So what submission is not? I have a series of graphics that I'm going to put on the screen because I wanted to be very, very clear on what submission is not, and I was even trying to think about what typically is common when we think about the idea of submission. And the first thing that submission is not is submission is not agreeing or obeying your husband on everything. My friends, if that was the case that would be domination. There are multiple times in the Bible that women disagree with their husbands and they are in the right. And there's two specific examples. One is in 1 Corinthians 7 that actually gives an allotment or a provision for divorce if your spouse is not a believer. And so if your spouse is not a follower of Jesus and they don't want to be married to you anymore because you are a follower of Jesus, the Bible says that that's okay. You can leave that marriage and it gives a provision for divorce. We also see in 1 Peter 3, uh, kind of on the flip side, if you have a spouse that is an unbeliever, the Bible encourages you to choose to stay with them so that they might be won over. And 1 Peter 3 all talks about how the husbands can be won over by the faithfulness and the holiness of their wives. So we see that agreeing or obeying him on everything is not the case. That's not what submission is. That would be domination. Secondly, checking your brain at the altar. I was kind of thinking about this at the marriage altar. When you get married, you don't check your brain at the altar. That would be lobotomizing. Now, uh, let's come back to me for a second with this um, here. I want you guys to know how Rachel and I do this. Now, I typically make the initiation for a lot of the decisions. But most often, I would say probably ninety to ninety-five percent of the time, I follow Rachel's advice to the T. And that can go with small things like eating out or watching a movie. But let me tell you this, I don't preach a sermon without my wife, who's running the slides right now, that's I'm pointing over to her. I don't preach a sermon without that woman reading it. And she hones in on language, and she clarifies things. And I just say, you're right. And sometimes she'll tell me I need to change something, and she'll try to explain it. And I tell her, like, honey, you don't need to explain it. It's done. Because I trust her judgment, and I trust her understanding of the gospel. But I also want to tell you, we wouldn't be here today without my wife. Redeeming Hope wouldn't be here without Rachel. Because a couple years ago, I was feeling God was calling us to make a move, and I interviewed for a job in Hendersonville. And that's how we got to, to Tennessee. And then subsequently from there got to here. And, and I interviewed for a job that only offered me a part-time job to move 1,000 miles away from home and family and to leave a church family that we loved in Annapolis. And I got off the call, and Rachel was walking our dog at the time to, to kind of keep our apartment quiet. And she walks in and says, how's it going? I was like, oh, man, I don't know, hon. And I told her this, and my risk-averse wife, Immediately said, we need to do this. And guys, I still wasn't convinced that we needed to, but I trusted her judgment because she is wise and careful and loves the Lord. When we moved up here, okay, I felt strongly that we needed to do this, but Rachel didn't. And you wanna know what I did? I shut up about it. I didn't say a word about planting this church until she prayed and genuinely felt God leading her. And that is why in the moments when it's really tough to plant a church, we both have the confidence that he led us independently to this decision. And there is not resentment from her towards me for pulling her along. And there's not resentment from from me towards her to have to pull her along. We both took the time, did it right. But I'll tell you, my wife, My job is to set her up to freely share her intellect, to freely share her direction, to freely share her leading. And my job is to create an environment where she can do that safely. And when that happens, our family thrives, and we make good decisions when Rachel is involved, and Rachel is speaking her mind clearly and boldly and directly to me. And all of our sermons are really a byproduct of my initiation to write it, but her initiation to make sure I don't come off sounding like a jerk. That's really what it looks like. So let's go back to this. Um, not checking your brain at the altar. Third, um, lack of influence. That is not what submission is. That would be dehumanizing. My my friends uh, who are wives, you have value. You have worth. You are created in the image of God. You have agency, and decision-making abilities, and intellect, and you have gifts and skill sets that your husbands don't have, and your husband, but here's the deal, and this is is where we got to acknowledge the difference here of roles, your husband is going to stand before God, he's going to be held accountable for how he led his family but you can make his job easy or you can make his job hard. I want you to be encouraged to influence your husband. This is actually the best leadership. The best leadership isn't directive telling, go do this. The best, the best leadership is actually asking questions to help people get to the decision themselves. And so this is not, submitting is not, not having a lack of influence. You actually need to influence him towards the good, the true, and the beautiful. Finally, submission is not living or acting in fear. You need to have a fullness of love between the two of you. And if you have a husband who is aggressive, domineering, abusive, demanding, or controlling, you need to reach out and get help. And actually, will you turn the camera back on to me for a second? Here's the deal. I'm going to be straight up with you. If you have a husband that's abusive or domineering or controlling you, I want you to call me today. I want you to call me, 931-326-4512. 12. That's the church's number. I will come to your house this evening. I've lost 110 pounds over the past year. I can duck and I can weave. I have no problem getting in someone's face. And I have no problem fully addressing what the husband should or should not do. Wives, you should not be encouraged to live in fear or domination or control over an abusive husband because of this concept of submission. That's not what submission is. And if that is you, call me today I will be at your house this evening. I have zero problem with doing that. However, and let me go back to this concept, okay? Not only should you not be living in fear, and that's part of you need to speak up if something's happening so that our church family can come alongside of you and help you. However, I will say that some wives can act out of an unreasonable fear that their husbands will not provide for them, and thus that they need to control, manipulate, or direct their family. And that is rooted in fear, not in faith, and that is wrong. Now, I will say, sometimes this happens because husbands have failed to lead well. They have failed to provide. They failed to step up. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's actually rooted in deeper fear and a lack of trust. So... That's what I'm saying. It says it's not living or acting out of fear. That's not what submission is. Let me show you what submission is. Now, this is the definition of submission. It should be on your screen. Submission is this. The invitation of God. You can choose to do it or not. It's the invitation of God to a wife to honor and respect her husband and his unique role as the servant leader of their family, resulting in a greater advancement of God's kingdom because of her partnership. My friends, this truly is an invitation, and it's an invitation to honor, it's an invitation to respect, but it's his job to be the servant leader, okay? It's his job to step up and lead and guide your family, and as he steps up and leads as a servant, as you honor and respect him and follow his leadership, together you can partner for the advancement of God's kingdom, and it can be better because of you. So, um, submission is a key role in the household. Now, there's four key passages in the New Testament that talk about this idea of submission. We looked at one of them, Ephesians 5. The second one is in Colossians 3. I do want you to know that this word submit is in every one. And so, it's not like we're pulling one verse out, right, and saying, wives, you need to submit because of this one verse. But it actually is across multiple authors, written over multiple times, addressing different issues that are using the same terminology and the same direction that we believe is coming out of the Holy Spirit, inspiring them to write the Bible. So Colossians 3, 18 to 19, it says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. But then look at what it says immediately. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. It's immediately followed by husbands, don't be harsh. But it does say, wives, submit to your husbands. Now we look at 1 Peter 3. I made mention of this a few minutes ago about a wife that has an unbelieving husband. Look at what it says here. Likewise, wives, be subject or submissive, submitting um, to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see a respectful and pure behavior. My friends, we see this example in 1st Peter 3 about wives being faithful, submitting even to their unbelieving husbands, but not to the point where they deny the faith. That's where it draws the line. Jesus is primary. Jesus is number 1. Second is husband and here's the deal. What, what God's telling us is that the faithfulness of wives to follow the leadership of their husbands, to honor and respect them as servant leaders in the household, your faithfulness in doing this, it is redemptive. It really can redeem brokenness in your marriage. It is missional it actually is showing others. It's actually drawing people to Jesus. You could even draw your passive husband to step up and be a godly man and follower of Jesus by your obedience to Jesus. It's missional. It's evangelistic. It points people to the good news of Jesus that says that you can do this because Jesus submitted to his father's will for us. But it is so powerful. You can live a life of testimony when you do this. When unbelieving husbands see their wives following Jesus, they are often e- drawn to that life or repelled by that life. So that's why it says you, if, you're, if your unbelieving spouse wants to divorce you, you can give it to them, no problem. But, they're either, but they could be drawn to it as well. It's modeling the gospel in this way is huge, and it is incredibly powerful. Then we see another passage, Titus 2 where it addresses this idea. Um, this is the the final of the four. Older women train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So there's lots to unpack here, but we're going to just walk through word by word because I want to be very clear on what this text is saying and what it is not saying, okay? First off, it is saying to be self-controlled. I will say... Um, Wives, you will have a tendency like Eve to fight to lead your family, especially when your husband is deficient in his leadership. The call of God is don't do that. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, is an evidence of the Spirit's work in your life. And He has called you to exhibit self-control in ways that you probably could lead, and you might even be able to do it better than He is. But to practice self-control in that moment, to honor that being your husband's helper— and honor his role as the servant leader in the family. Next it says, the young women are to be pure. And this is practice Christlikeness. This is pure in thought and in word and in deed, that you are modeling Christ. That is something that we call men to, that is something we call women to. Next it says working at home. Now let me be very clear here. It's not saying that women shouldn't work. It's not saying that your role is just to be barefoot in the kitchen, okay? That's not the goal, and I want to be really clear on that because that can sometimes be an argument that some people who don't know what they're talking about will try to force onto people, okay? This is saying that wives should use their time in a productive way, and it is also saying that wives have a unique gift to focus on the thriving of their household as the husband is on the front lines of leadership. And this, I was thinking about this as this idea of a support battalion. You have the tip of the spear in military, you have the people that are breaking ground, you have the people that are engaged in hand-to-hand combat and close quarters combat that are fighting for every street, but they can't do what they do without the support battalion behind them. Without the support battalion fixing their vehicles, without the support battalion sending food and water. Without that, they would be toast in a second, okay? And I am not saying that women can't work, Rachel works. Rachel's planning on working as a nurse practitioner here in Clarksville. That is not what it's saying. What it's saying is that you have a unique role. And even um, childhood development and early childhood development, childhood psychology shows that the mother and the wife have a unique role in the early stages of bonding with their children that can influence them throughout their entire life, working at home. Next, it says to be kind. Um, My friends, this means don't be harsh with your husband. This happens. I've literally seen it happen in front of me. And what happens is, is that it's hard to watch. When you can be cutting and biting and sharp, and, and, and harmful in your language towards him, it actually doesn't set him up well to lead and doesn't actually help you in the long run either. So, so just as he's saying, um, husbands, don't be harsh with your wives. What he's also saying here is, is, what the text is saying is that wives, be kind to your husbands. Uh, speak gently, softly. Don't be cutting or harsh or biting, but have gentleness towards them as you would one of your dear friends. Next, it says, and finally it says, be submissive. And again, this goes back to honoring. Submissive is honoring and and respecting the husband's role as a servant leader. Now, um, I, in leading up to this sermon... Um, uh, you know, it's easier for me to speak to men than it is to speak to women, right? And um, I would have probably had a woman uh, preach the sermon. We're going to have a woman preach in, in two weeks to talk to the, the moms in our church. But uh, I, I had a, I had, um, a, a series of, of women that I highly trust that are theologically trained, that are leaders, that are unbelievable, um, look at this, including Rachel, in addition to Rachel. And one of them was editing it today, and she actually took out a quote and said, hey, I think I would do this differently. And I'm just going to quote her. It won't be on the screen, but this is Elida, and um, she just did this fantastic thing as talking about what it means to be submissive. She said, this is an attitude of willingness to trust his decisions and willingly allow him to lead when there is disagreement, but also... To be able to lovingly advocate your own view in a considerate and empowering way. (sighs) Oh my gosh, I could not have said it better, and I told her I was going to quote her. I texted her and said, Elida, you're getting quoted in this sermon. So thank you so much to the ladies that looked over this, that sharply critiqued it, that cut stuff out, that reworded things to help me um, try to be as clear as possible. Um, this This is a quote from Kathy Keller as it talks about this idea of submission. This is what she says. Submission is something that a wife gives. It is not something that a husband can demand. Christ emptied himself. He did not grasp equality with God. It was a voluntary submission. This proves that headship does not imply superiority, nor does submission imply inferiority. Now, I'm trying to think. I gave the men some practical pieces of advice last week. And I was trying to think about how can we provide the wives some practical pieces of advice, and there's four things. Again, remember that these four things are in the context of what I just finished talking to you about, about what submission is and what it isn't, how the men are supposed to step up and lead. It is their responsibility to be servant leaders. Their job is to die. Your job is to submit. There's four ways, four suggestions that I have for you. The first is step back, don't usurp. Um, that I literally talked to someone at a networking event uh, a couple of months ago in Clarksville, and and she said, now my husband's a Christian. I got to keep him on the right path. And I was kind of hard to like hide the horror in my face, but like that's not what she's supposed to do at all. But you see how sometimes I can see the passivity of men can encourage women to say, I've got to be the one that keeps him in line. I got to keep him in check. Um, I go to a lot of men and invite them to come over to my house. And then um, we, we invite their families to come over. And typically I'll call or text and, and I'll hear him say, man, the wife's the boss. I got to go check with the boss. I don't believe that that's helpful terminology for your marriage. I really don't. Because that is implying something that's not true. Nobody's the boss, okay? The husband is a servant leader who's dying to himself, the wife is a helper who is honoring and respecting her husband as he is dying to his life and preferences to serve his family, and she is serving him, and together they're partnering together for the kingdom. So you don't need to go cowtail and ask permission um, for your wife to go hang out with a godly man. you got to check with your schedule, but you're not checking with your boss. She's not your boss, and you're not her boss either. I want you, wives, I want you to step back. I want you to see. I want you to see how your husband responds. Sometimes if men haven't had this modeled in their life, there needs to be a gap of leadership in order for them to step up. I do this. I do this at Redeeming Hope. When we were meeting at the YMCA before COVID hit, I would intentionally not show up early. Not because I was just sleeping in. I would wake up early and pray and prepare my message. But I was waiting if there was a problem or an issue to see if somebody else would step up and solve it without having to come to me. And that's how leaders get elevated and raised up in our midst. And if your husband looks at you and wants you to make a decision, I want you to look right back at him. And when he isn't being bold, I want you to say, hey, this is my thought, but I trust you and I want you to make that decision. Because at the end of the day, he's going to stand before God one day and be held accountable for how he led his family. So let me tell you this also, too. For you wives, when you take a step back and you're not usurping, this is a protection for you. My, uh, there's a wonderful uh, preacher and pastor named Tony Evans, and he has this sweet quote. I just love it. I'm going to read it twice. He says, spiritual headship, the man taking leadership. Spiritual headship is God telling the woman to duck so he can punch the man in the face. That's what he's telling them. Let me say that again. Spiritual headship, that the fact the man is the leader, and the wife is the helper. Spiritual headship is God telling the woman to duck so he can punch the man in the face. That's what he's doing. It's the man's responsibility to lead his family. Step back, don't you, serve. Next, wives, respect, don't belittle. If you speak to your husband as if he's a child, he will act like a child and continue to act like a child. Now, I will say, some men are children. They are boys who can shave. They're not stepping up. They're not leading in their family. But if you treat him like a child, you affirm his way of living and you continue the cycle. Do you understand? Speak to your husband as a man. Speak to him as an adult. Set clear expectations. Anticipate that he will step up. And if he doesn't, address it with him as you would an adult, not as a child. Don't have to walk him through it as a child. Your husband is a man. And if you keep treating him like a child, then he will continue to act like a child and it will continue to put you in a position of authority and him in a position of subjugation. It needs to be rewritten. And to help with that, I'm not saying that this will solve it because the man needs to step up, but to help with this, um, wives, I want to encourage you to respect, don't belittle, don't be harsh or biting or cutting, but seek to empower him with your language. Next, honor. Project confidence. Confidence is key. Um, I've heard people say, multiple people, over the course of my years of being a pastor, that in talking about their husbands, they say, I don't think he'll ever change. And you see, this absolutely crushes the husband's confidence. It doesn't actually set him up to lead well. And this actually isn't true, because if Jesus can be raised from the dead, the Bible says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside every believer, every follower of Jesus which means there is no sin that cannot be redeemed. There is no life change that cannot happen because God's spirit is the one who is inside of your husband. So don't say what's not true. He can change by the power of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of him. And really this happens in business and ministry too. This is just a practical thing. If you want somebody to change, you don't want to say, well, I don't think they're never gonna change. They're never gonna change. That would be terrible to do that with an employee to say, oh, they're going to fail at this. Well, you're just setting them up for failure. It's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're going to have a critical eye on everything that that employee does. You're going to nitpick. It's going to cause them to lose confidence, underperform, and it's going to result in them not getting the job done. So it's really confident belief. Um, This goes back to the old, like, uh, the, the the old fairy tales, right, where the 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 brave warrior needs to defeat the dragon to win the girl. Um, the wife needs to say, "I think you can beat the dragon," and the husband says, "I think you're worth beating the dragon for." That's what needs to happen. That's the type of relationship. It's the it's the wife saying, "You can do this," and the husband says, "I want to do this for you." You see how they're working together to build confidence, to build honor, and and that really helps. And this is actually how you lead your husband to lead. Like, wives, you have a leadership role in the household, and you can set him up for success. And wives, you can truly set your husband up for failure or success, and you can make it easy or hard. Um, J.D. Greer says this. He says, if your husband is not a spiritual leader, your submission to him in this specific way can help call him into this kind of leadership. When you encourage him, you you project honor and confidence, Right? Um, What you're saying is, I think that you can do this, and that puts a level of expectation on him that most men are willing to rise to. And finally, in the final piece of advice for for the wives, follow, don't be combative. Sometimes, and most often, your family is in disarray because of the man's inability and unwillingness to lead. However, sometimes it's because the wife is trying at every step to take control and doesn't want to follow and fights you at every turn. And I am not saying to the wives, don't challenge your husband's. But when you do, what I'm saying is follow his decisions and support him without seeking to be combative or argumentative in the sense that you are, are, are limiting his ability to lead and he feels like he's got to fight you at every corner. Remember what true submission is. True submission is the invitation of God to a wife to honor and respect her husband in his unique role as the servant leader of their family, resulting in greater advancement of God's kingdom because of her partnership. Now, as we come to the end of our time, you know, we look back at Eve. Eve was deceived. She usurped. And, and unfortunately, all women live in the shadow of their first mother with this temptation towards these specific sins. But there was another woman who willingly submitted to God. Look with me in Luke 1. And Gabriel answered Mary and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child To be born will be called holy, the Son of God. For nothing will be impossible with God. And listen to what Mary said Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. My friend, Mary is the new Eve. She said yes and submits to God. And what Mary does is gives women a new pattern. And you see, um, if you actually pull back and look at the rest of the story, Mary's yes, Mary's obedience changed Joseph's life too. Joseph's action to step up and marry a pregnant woman who is claiming to be a virgin, his his ability to step into his calling to care for her as she is birthing the savior of the world was in a direct response to Mary's yes. This man, Joseph, leaves behind his family the rest of his family at a great personal and social cost, and he pursues a spouse. That's exactly what Christ did for us. And it was Mary's yes that started it. And Mary's obedience sets up her husband to be obedient. Do you see that? You see, we have a new way of living. And just as God made his dwelling in Mary through this miraculous pregnancy, so God makes his dwelling in you and me through the Holy Spirit when we respond in submission to his will. Now, if you're joining us and you look back over the course of your life and you don't see a time and a place where you've put a stake in the ground and said, yes, I choose to follow Jesus, none of this is going to make sense and you're not going to be able to do it. So the past, however long it's been, I don't know how long it's been, probably longer than it should have been, but this this past time, it will make no sense to you. However, if you submit to Christ. My invitation for you today is if you submit to Christ, you will be empowered to live this out in your marriage. You'll be empowered to live this out in your life as you repent and believe in his message for you. So if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you, take an honest assessment. Have you chosen to follow Jesus? Put a stake in the ground. And today, put a stake in the ground and choose to follow Jesus. And he will empower you to submit to him first, male or female, husband or wife. And then through that, you will be able to go into your appropriate role in your household. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus... Um, wives, this is still hard to do this. It's hard to follow this pattern. And my encouragement for you today is to believe, to re-believe that God is good, that God seeks your good, that God is the better husband. He will be filling in the gaps that your husband leads and leaves. And he wants to protect you and love you. And this is, again, what leads us to our main point, that wives are called to embrace their role as a partner to their husband, honoring and respecting his unique role as a servant leader, and then following his lead to invest in God's kingdom. What we want to see here at Redeeming Hope is wives embrace their God-given role as helpers to model submission in their household, again, which is neither unquestioned obedience or being ignored. Like Jesus came under the authority of his father, wives are coming under the authority of their husbands to respect and follow him as they both serve and advance the kingdom of God. They prioritize with their relationship with their husbands above every other human relationship, including children, without seeking to control or dominate. Wives are modeling holiness for their household as they come under the authority of their husbands, sacrificing their own choice to, to choose freedom and comfort. They sacrifice that to model how the church submits to Jesus to truly become a household that changes the world.